Thank you so much, Ant. I've said this before, but we have been so blown away by the hospitality, love, and generosity of this church. The amount of you that have looked after our children when we couldn't get them into school, the food that you've provided, the the smiles that you give us, we are so blessed that God has landed us here at Coastline. You are a beautiful church. I was just standing in worship thinking, what a stunning church. What an incredible place. What a beautiful people that God has pulled together here to do something powerful. And I believe God's wanting to speak here this morning. I want to get out of the way and just let him use me as he wants to. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right into it. Are you ready? Are you ready out there? Yeah? Awesome. God, we want to thank you that you are good. We want to thank you that you are here in this place and that you want to move. We thank you that you are doing something out in our community and that you're inviting us into that space. And so, Holy Spirit, wherever we're at this morning, we surrender ourselves, we open our minds, we open our hearts, we open our ears to what you would want to say. And they all said, Amen. My parents trained as missionaries. They planned on going overseas, but they found themselves called by God to New Zealand, where we're from, to a city called Porirua that was known for its poverty, for its drug addiction, for its alcohol, for mental health issues, for violence, and for gangs. And my parents moved us right into the middle of that because they desperately and passionately wanted to see every single person reach in that city for Jesus. They wanted to see the hope of God rip through that city so that every person that was addicted to some substance would become full of the Holy Spirit and able to see transformation and breakthrough in their lives. And so do you know what? There was a bit of a joke that happened in the local gang community called the Mongrel Mobs. These are guys that will walk down the street and they'd be barking together like, ruff, ruff, ruff. It was a joke because they found that every time that their car broke down, it happened to break down in front of my parents' house. And my dad had a mechanical background. So he'd run out, he'd grab his toolkit, and he'd be like, hey guys, can I help fix your car? And it was free. And it was a crazy pastor. So these guys were fully tatted up. Violent men would say, okay. They would drive away with a fixed car, but a head full of the testimonies of the hope and the love and the transformation of Jesus. Now, across the road lived some of these gang members. Their names were Kuru and Sa. And they watched as my dad went out and did practical things for this gang. And they watched one day as Manu from our congregation, a guy that had been so broken and had been known for his graffiti artist work that he'd do on schools and council buildings, who had had a transformational experience in Jesus, as he took a huge piece of wood and he painted a mural inviting people to church. He used his graffiti for Jesus. And they watched this happen. And they looked at that invite and they thought, you know what, crazy pastor, cool pastor, amazing mural, we're going. They turned up on a Sunday and they came church after church after church after church. And then one day they knelt down at the altar call and they said, we give our lives to Jesus. 
Yeah, that's right. Heaven was celebrating, right? We give our lives to Jesus and it didn't stop there. They became passionate about seeing that gang transform for God. They became passionate about seeing their family and their friends walking in the freedom, the hope that they now experienced in Christ. And so they became active members and a whole life group was set up for gang members to be able to laugh together and cry together and research scripture together to see transformation. But I wonder about these people and the ripple effect if my dad and my mum had not listened to the call. If they'd said, no, we're not taking our little girls, we were three and five, my sister and I, into that area, it's too dangerous. What would have happened to Sa and Kuru? You see, Jesus says in Matthew, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, that's right, the workers are, the harvest is plentiful here in BPC, but the workers are. Bok and I really believe God is doing some kind of revival work here. We can feel it in the spirit. When we go to the supermarket and talk to the teller, we sense the openness in the heart as they ask us where we're from and what we're doing here. When Bok goes down to Kings Park, my husband, and plays football, and the young guys join in, we sense an openness in the atmosphere. When we know that Mario, who's in the house today, had an experience with God out there in the community, nobody else involved, and thought, I'm going to turn up to the nearest church I can find. He came to Coastline Vineyard with his motorbike. Who's seen his motorbike? Yeah? My husband, Bok, saw him on the first Sunday. He also loves motorbikes, and so they connected. Other people got around Mario. Mario gave his life to Jesus and is walking with him, and he is also on his knees wanting people to know God as well. That's a transformation story because the Spirit of God is at work out there. The harvest is plentiful, but the work is a few. We saw this in our own youth group. The young people were out in this competition where they had to take photos with random things. And one thing they had to do was take a photo with a stranger. So they all posed with this guy and two teenage girls watched on. And they said, Dad, we want to go to that youth group. It looks really fun. And so the young people said, you can come. Come next week, 7 p.m. Monday. You're welcome. And so they came. Next Monday, Dad's standing there. He says to me, how much does it cost? I said, it's free. Rosie and Matilda came week after week after week after week. And I want to give a shout out to Rachel Fennell in the house because she got alongside them and loved them and pastored them and reached out to them. They came along to DTI with us, a festival. They gave their lives to Jesus. That's amazing. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God is doing a work in our community and he's calling us to partner with him and the work that he is already about. I believe he's asking this question, who will go for me? Who will I send? My favorite words in the Bible are these words here. The words of Isaiah, here I am, 
God, send me. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Do you know the power of that story of Isaiah? He was a prophet. He knew that the mission that God had him on was going to be awful, horrendous, terrible. There's no word to describe it in the English dictionary. He knew the people would hate him. God even warned him, just so you know, as you prophesy, the hearts of these people will harden even more. And he didn't hesitate. He said, here I am, God. Here I am in my current situation. Here I am, God, with the experience that I carry right now. Here I am, God, with my sin struggle, with my pain, with my baggage. Here I am in my time and space, with my resource. Here I am right here and now, not tomorrow, not in the future, not when I have everything it together. Here I am now, send me. How many times do we wait for the right moment? We've got it all together. How many times do we wait and say, God, once I've got the money, once I've got this job down, once I've got the husband, once I've got the wife, once we've had three kids, once, 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 until I'm in the grave. But God is calling a church to rise up like we've never risen before, to take back what the enemy has taken. And to say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. You look at the story of Moses. He's hanging out with his sheep, having an average time. And God appears to him in that burning bush. And he's like, Moses, I want you to be the man that goes out and you're going to go and speak to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And you're going to say, let my people go. Let my people go. You're going to speak to the Israelites. You're going to be a voice for me. And what does Moses says? Moses says, no. God, I can't speak. I don't have that ability. I can't do this, God. It's not me that you're after. And he wrestles backwards and forwards. And if you look at Exodus chapter 4, you can read this. But Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord answered him, What is that? What is that in your hand? Can you say that to the person next to you? What is that in your hand? And what did Moses say? Moses said, Well, God, it's a shepherd's staff. I'm looking after sheep. Throw it to the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw the staff down. This is the point where he obeyed. He threw the staff down and it turned into a snake. And he was so shocked that he jumped back. He didn't expect it. Then the Lord told him this, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it. And it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his, in his, that's right, in his hand. Perform the sign the Lord told him. Then they will believe. Then they will believe. I'm asking you, church, every single one of you this morning, no matter where you're at, what is in your hand right now? 
What is in your hand? See, the thing about the staff, it represented everything about Moses' current situation. That staff was used to rescue sheep as an extended hand. It was used to help Moses to navigate tough terrain. It was used to whack wild animals, bang, over the head. He knew how to use that staff. God didn't ask him to suddenly come up with something else. He said, what is in your hand? And you know, in the church, we can so often look to the left and to the right and say, I see that person's gifting and I want that. I'm waiting till I become something else other than what God's made me to be. Or I need to grow first. I need to get better. I need to somehow rid myself of my sin first. I can't be used by God. You know, the church I grew up in, it was a church that was massive in the creative arts, like dance and drama. We had a dance team that would compete every year in national competitions, and they'd take it out every single year. They ended up performing internationally, reaching people for Jesus with dance and drama. And my little seven-year-old heart yearned to be a dancer. Twelve years old, one of my favorite people in the church, Manu, He sat down with me and said, Johanna, we need to let you know, you can't dance. (laughs) We're moving you out of the dance team, it was called Junior Jam, onto other things. My heart was broken. You're laughing. (laughs) I told you you you're a beautiful church before, now you're laughing at me. My heart was broken because I watched these dancers perform and everything I wanted to be was a dancer. My sister, my only sister, she could dance. She could float across the stage. I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to dance. It wasn't until I was 16 and my heart started to mend over this. And I started to look back over my life and think, who is Johanna? What do I, as a person, bring to the table? What are my experiences? And do you know what I knew about myself at 16? That I was an enabler of people. I was a mobilizer. Do you know how I knew that? Because at six years old, I used to round up my friends. We'd go and pick wild flowers. We'd put tinfoil around those flowers from my mother's kitchen drawer. We'd run up to old ladies' houses. We would knock on the door, put the flowers down, and run behind the fence and watch as they opened the door. I believed that I was blessing these people, but I was also mobilizing my friends to do it. Do you know one lady called Marilyn Cowles? She to this day says that she came to faith and that one of the main reasons was because she'd opened her door to flowers from a six-year-old. God took what was in my hand and by his spirit in the same way he took that stuff, he did something powerful with it. His anointing was poured out on those daisies lying on a doorstep. The other thing I knew about myself is that I like to talk. I knew this because my biology teacher got sick of my talking so much so she said, Johanna, come forward. I'm giving you the whitewood pen. You're going to teach the class. So I knew this. I was a mobilizer of people and I was a communicator And I realized that the place that I could use those skills in was the youth ministry. So I gave my life to that. 
I tell you, by 18, I was sick and tired of how rough that place was. We had to have security guards on our doors because people would be fighting and ripping each other's hair out. And it was a crazy, crazy place. And I just wanted my life back. Some of you have heard this before, but at 18, I said to the youth pastor, sorry, Marty, I'm quitting youth ministry. And as I said that, the weight of responsibility lifted from my shoulders and I floated to my boyfriend's blue boy racer car. I stood in next to him. And as I did so, I heard the voice of God say to me, Johanna, you are to do youth ministry. For some reason, I started to cry uncontrollably because I knew in my spirit that this was going to be a hard task, but that if God asked me to do it, that I would trust him. Though I would give everything of myself, my time, my resources, my money, my student loan that I only finished paying off a few years ago. When Bok and I got married, houses, we bought houses for youth ministry, believed in faith, God provided. I quit my job. I went half time, worked for the church for free. We honored God. We said yes to God. And see, the thing is, is when you step into and walk into the calling that God has designed for you that's based on your unique gifting, experience, your makeup, your passion, when you step into that, I tell you, I testify, there is nothing more satisfying than walking in the place that God has for you. I was so encouraged this morning as I was with the intercessors backstage, and as they're praying, these powerful, heaven-sent prayers And I was like, oh gosh, you know, these people are walking in their calling. How encouraging is that? When John casts vision, he's walking in his calling. How encouraging is that? But the other thing that the staff represented for Moses was the fact that he was once a prince. He was a fallen prince. He had walked with leaders of Egypt. He would have known about vision and strategy. He would have had the discussions. He knew what it was like to have anything and everything, anytime he wanted. Prince of Egypt. And then he made one error, serious error, but one error that meant that he became the scorn of Egypt and the Israelites. And so he hid. That staff represented everything about his regret. To become a shepherd is the lowest of low if you've been a prince. It represented pain. It represented shame. It represented no true future. It represented leadership that felt lost. It represented sin and struggle and broken relationship. And do you know what, God? invited him to do. He said, throw it to the ground. Throw it to the ground. What is it in your life that you need to throw to the ground? What is your ceiling right now? What is the thing that is stopping you from saying, God, yes, all of me, here I am all of me right here, right now. What is it? Maybe, maybe some of you are sitting here today and you've been in church for a long time and you've been in other churches and you have been hurt. 
And so you're holding on to that staff because it's your protection. You're saying, no, I'm not willing to trust again. I'm not willing to step out again. No, I don't trust leadership anymore because I've been hurt. I've been wounded. Why would I step out? Do you hear that that is a lie from the devil? He wants to keep you captured. He wants to tell you that your life has come to a halt, to a stop. I want to speak to you in the room right now, those of you that are getting older. Sometimes you can sit there and feel that maybe it's finished. Maybe anything you could have done successfully for Jesus is in the past. That maybe it's too late. I want to tell you this morning that it's never too late. It's only too late when you're in the grave. God is not finished with you yet. He is not finished. He's only just getting started in some of your lives. And he's wanting to work in the miraculous. He's wanting to work in the supernatural. He's wanting to work through his power and his might and his love. The Bible said it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. I remember the first time that I was asked to speak at a massive event. It was called Easter Camp. And I was just a youth pastor. And the only place I'd been preaching was locally, you know, every week and learning from the young people. And I was lying in this fetus position in my hotel room, like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to speak to, you know, thousands. And I was scared. I was petrified. And everything about how I was not good enough or who was I or this is the thing I'm struggling with right now. This is sin. Everything was just tumbling on top of me. And it wasn't until I learned to shake that off, to lay down the staff, to say, God, these are my talents and my strengths. This is my experience. This is where maybe I've stuffed up, but God, I give it to you because in your sovereign hand, you can do miraculous things. Do you believe that for you this morning? that God wants to do the miraculous through you. What is in your hand that God can use? What is in your hand? See, Moses, when he lifted that staff up, it parted the Red Sea and saw the Israelites reach freedom from the Egyptians. You might not be holding a staff up, but maybe God has anointed you to open doors for others of opportunity. Maybe he's anointed you and called you out to be a person that sits with people and leads them through to Jesus, that points the way, that gives pastoral care, that mentors, that stands in the gap. Moses took that staff and when the Israelites were thirsty, he he tapped a rock and water gushed out and they were able to drink. Maybe you're not going to be holding a staff like that, but what is it in your experience that will cause children who are hungry to be fed, families that are ripped apart, marriages that are suffering to come together and to drink of the living well so that they can see restoration? What is in your hand that God has given you? Yeah, when Moses held up that staff, over the enemies, and the enemies were conquered. What in your life is God wanting to use? What resource do you have? What gift, what passion, what strength 
should be able to see breakthrough in the heavenly realms. What is he causing you to do? What is he calling you out for? See, we as a church in a couple of weeks are moving into two services. And the reason why we're doing that is to make room for more. It's because we believe in this revival. We believe in the fact that God is already at work, that there are people out there that want to respond, that are waiting, that need something, that are seeking. But the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And so we as a church are going, what, God, do we need to do to make room? I think it's a wise call because if you think about this, you know, you read stuff on churches. If you hit 80% full as a capacity in a room, people don't come. They get uncomfortable. We need to make this move. I love this verse where Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't call us to a comfortable life. It would be comfortable maybe to stay together in one room, wouldn't it? He's not about comfort. Growth is not about comfort. It's about being willing to get uncomfortable. Being willing to say, yes, God, what is in my hand to empower this vision to reach others? What is in my hand to help these two services to happen? What is in my hand when it comes to building a building that means that we can make space for more? What is in my hand? You see, my dad, he used his mechanical tools. That was what was in his hand as a pastor. And he reached gang members with those tools. But I tell you this, he was not, he was not operating alone. See, because God calls us to be the body of Christ. And there were a whole bunch of people in our church that were passionate about seeing Kuru and Sa be discipled for Jesus. There was the kids' ministry We had the children's workers who made it so fun and easy to understand the Bible. There was a youth ministry where the youth pastor was a bit wild. He liked lighting fires under signs that said, light no fires, but that was cool for the gang kids. There was the service teams, the creative arts, where they'd want to make things as relevant as they could so that people could capture the story of Jesus. There were so many different parts that were moving parts within the body of Christ that are part of the story of the transformation of Sarankuru in that community. It's going to require this church, every single one of us, to say, God, here I am, send me, because I don't want to live a picket fence life. I don't want to live a life where I get to the end and go, Oh, yeah, I built my own castle. I used my resources for myself. I ate lots of cream. I'm about to lay that stuff down and say, God, here I am, send me, and whatever you want to do, God, so that, so that others may know you. So that, God, you, you, God, would be glorified, so that you, God, would be lifted up. You know, the thing for Bok and I in coming here, we loved what we were doing in New Zealand. Absolutely loved it. We were involved in youth ministry. Bok was running apologetic seminars. It was an incredible thing. But we felt the prompting of God say, look on a website, search engine, find a role 
in England. And the only role that stood out was this role here. And we said, okay, here I am. Send me. We are willing to sacrifice to lay it down. To stand at the airport with our village and say goodbye. To allow our children's hearts to break. Do you know our kids have made a little area under their bed? They call it the crying area for our cousins. And they lie under that bed and they weep. But Jana Grace, our 10-year-old, is also writing a book right now. And the book is entitled, How I Trusted God. And it's a story of coming to England. How I Trusted God. So I want to leave you with three points. Listen to his voice. Listen to his voice and his voice alone, if that means quietening the voices around you. I was lying in bed the other day and I went to scroll into Facebook and I felt the Holy Spirit say, stop, saturate yourself in me. So I went and picked up a book about Brother Andrew who was bringing Bibles across to the Iron Curtain back in the day. Quieten the voice of social media. Quieten the voice of people that tell you that you're not good enough. Quieten the voice of your past. Quieten the voice of maybe parents that said things to you that wounded you and have now created a ceiling in your life. Quieten your own voice that tells you that you're not good enough, that God would prefer somebody else. And hear his voice. Do you know what he says about you? That you are beautifully and wonderfully made, that he knew you before the creation of the world, that he had good works in store for you to do. He is well pleased with you, and he loves you, and he believes in you. And do you know one of my favorite things about God is he decided to not do it by himself, this redemption plan. He invites us into it with the staff that we hold that we lay down and watch as we lay down the miracles he will do through us as a church collectively and individually. Listen to his voice. Secondly, this. Give what is in your hand and watch what he does. See, the thing about God, when you hand over your past story, when you hand over your sin, when you hand over your shame and your wrestle, When you hand over your strengths, your resources, your house, yourself, your life, he is faithful. He works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And finally is this, is that know that God goes with you. He says to Moses, I will be with you. He is the same God who said that to Moses, that says that to every single individual sitting in this room today. I go with you. The same God that created this universe by his very breath says, I am with you. The same God that sent his son, Jesus, on the cross to die for us, calls us into his freedom as he rose from the grave and that lives in me, that same God says, I am with you. I am with you.
So choose to trust him and to step into that.